Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is Ryan Klosterman, who is entering his fifth season as the head coach of the Bryant Baseball Program. Klosterman was a 2021 Northeast Conference Coach of the Year, and now his team, Bryant, is competing in the America East Conference for the second season. Ryan, how you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. We had a we had a really good fall. The weather held off for us, and we actually just wrapped up our fall black and gold World Series this past weekend. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter that you were tweeting that out. I don't. I don't know if you personally do have the social media handle, but so what will you be doing now? We're moving into November, obviously November, December, which seemed to be at least at the high school level the two kind of deadest months of the baseball season. What will you be doing to uh, track your guys during the the winter months here as they go home for break? And now is a really good window for us to skill development, had a chance to see these guys compete, play a lot of games, a lot of scrimmages, inner squads. And now it's a, it's an opportunity to work on some weaknesses, whether it's uh, maturity, physicality, athleticism, skill work, just hone in on some of the things that they need to work on in order to be players within the program this spring. Yeah. I know some of the bigger programs, there's still some moving pieces going in the spring, either with guys, you know, now with the transfer portal, it seems like guys make uh, decisions in between semesters if they don't see a role carved out for them in the spring. Will you have any roster uh, changes, do you think, heading into the spring, or does that not happen as much in the Northeast? Uh, I can tell you just with us, I, I don't see any of those things happening until probably the winter. But yeah, the transfer portal, it's... Uh, it's a necessary evil. I think it does a, a lot of good for guys that might not see opportunities that they thought they might have early on in their careers. And sometimes just the university might not be a fit for them academically or, and it's an opportunity for those guys to try something different. So definitely a necessary evil. Uh, I think baseball-wise, that mid-year transfer is tough. You have some opportunities with, with a guy that graduates after after the fall and has an opportunity to move on somewhere else, but not a whole lot of movement mid-year transfers for us and probably not too many just throughout the country. Yeah. How are you juggling that, 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 like you said, necessary evil where guys are, you know, they're bringing in guys who have proven success at the college level. And when you can get that sure thing, sometimes it saves you from the projection that you have to do when you're looking at 16, 17 year old kids and trying to figure out where they're going to be five years from now. How are you using the transfer portal to recruit? We have, we've done a very nice job within it. We've had some very good players who, whether it be looking for an MBA, we have an opportunity for guys to come in and with the extra COVID year or a redshirt year through an injury may have graduated with their undergrad somewhere else. We have an opportunity for those guys with one extra year to, to get an MBA, a nationally ranked MBA in a, in one year. And use that year of eligibility to better their resume, but also keep the uniform on for as long as uh, they possibly can. So we, we have, we've, we've done well with it. We've had a, a lot of really good players come into the program, change the scenery and, and, and have some success. Yeah. I know uh, coach Penders at UConn, when I was talking to him about the uh, transfer portal a ways back, he was saying what back before his team made the move to big East uh, when they were in the American uh, he was saying he just kind of learned it's really difficult to rely on freshmen uh, to win games freshman year in that conference, at least uh, they're coming. The physicality is not exactly where it should be. Pitchers don't always know how to control the running game because they're not used to doing that at the high school level. They're pitching a lot with nobody on base and striking a lot of guys out. How do you what can what 
can you do as a coaching staff to kind of put a, a structure in place where guys are comfortable when they get to you freshman year and they are able to contribute right away? I don't know if anybody has the answer to that question. <laughs> if they did, obviously they're probably winning a lot of baseball games, but uh, the freshman fall is tough. It's the first time that they've worked at this capacity, whether it's strength and conditioning. I think every every kid that plays college baseball was probably one of the harder workers on their high school team, within their high school programs, within their travel ball programs. And then once you get to uh, the Division One level, Division Two level, junior college, Division Three, doesn't matter. This is a lifestyle for guys in college. This is it's how they have fun. It's their passion. And the high school kid, it's just a completely different work capacity. Academics are tougher. Practice schedules are longer. The grind, the work, the work capacity, it's tenfold. And you might be away from home for the first time, not sleeping in your own bed. So I can tell you that freshman fall is a lot for a lot of kids and the homesick. And and, and it's one of the things as, as coaches that we have to navigate. A lot of mental health check-ins and look them in the eye and make sure they're doing well because at the end of the day, a lot of times the kids want to keep those things inside and they, they don't want to let you know that they're hurting or not not in a good space mentally. But it's a, it's a lot of eye contact and it's a lot of, a ch- lot of check-ins and, and making sure that they're doing well. But I think as, as coaches, we just have to understand that freshman fall likely will be the worst version of the incoming class that we will see and hopefully that they maintain growth throughout the course of their careers. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting perspective for November because you, you're kind of just getting through that with your freshmen now. Do you ever think about like pulling back a little bit so that they don't feel like their head's underwater? Or are you like, hey, you have to go through it. You have to get tougher by going through this adversity. I think we all are, are trying to develop and we want to try to get over that bridge early. But when development is huge and getting a chance to to work together as a group is important. Sometimes just throwing them right into the fire is the best bet. There are avenues and ways around it. I think I can tell you back to, back to my days working at another institution, we had summer summer classes and our guys would be invited to take summer school, get two classes, start their workouts early with the strength coach, understand what the college campus feels like, looks like, where classes are and where your resources are to help you. So there's avenues. There's avenues to educate them on what they're getting into. But at the end of the day, you can tell them as much as you want until you're really in the fire and, and you're on that college campus as a freshman. There's going to be some ups and downs. And it's our jobs as coaches, as mentors to identify and to identify with them and relate to them and understand, hey, you might need a day. You might need to take a weekend, go home, see your family. And that's OK. That's OK in, in this space. How do you feel about the Futures League for guys uh, to get ready? Like, is that something you would recommend to them? Or do you say, that's going to get so crazy when you're here, take that summer to do it, to be a high school graduate? I, I think the I think those leagues are awesome. Yeah. It's specifically in the Northeast, you have opportunities to play uh, baseball at a competitive level. Our high school seasons are shorter. Uh, our fall seasons are shorter up here just with the weather. Uh, any chance you have an opportunity to put the uniform on, the batter's box, uh, be on the mound, feel the pressure. I think those things are very, very important. The sooner you can do that, the sooner you can dive all in and uh, see somebody that might be three, four, upwards of five years older than you in the box and trying to have to compete against them. Anytime that you can put yourself in those situations, it's a good thing. And then obviously having the ability to deal with the failures or the success that you have in those moments 
that's the next layer. But yeah, the, the sooner they can be challenged in a competitive league, I think is very, very important. I think the Futures League does a great job of presenting that to, to some of the high school kids that get that opportunity to do that before walking onto a college campus. Yeah, the Futures League is the one that you can play fresh out of high school. You played in the Cape League for Chatham, I think, right? I yep. should, yeah, I should give people a little background on your playing career. You played at Clemson and then you played, I transferred to Vanderbilt. You were drafted in the fifth round and ended up playing professionally for like eight years, I think, right? Yes. So your experience on the, cha- uh, on the Cape, I wanted to ask about because I heard a co- uh, coach last year from the Cape. I think he was a coach of Falmouth. He ended up, I think, stepping away in the beginning, in the middle of the season. But he was pretty outspoken about the fact that on the Cape now, Guys will go there with pitch counts and innings counts or like, hey, I want to be here for a week up until the draft and then I'm out of here regardless of where I get picked. And he said it's gotten very individual where guys have their own agendas. It's not like, hey, let's go win as a team. It's I'm here to get my work in, showcase myself a little. It's a lot more like these showcase events that high school guys go to all across the country now where winning is kind of secondary to having a great individual performance before in front of college recruiters and scouts. Was that how it was when you were in the league or have you noticed that that's changed in the last 10 to 15 years? No, it's changed drastically. And I would even say drastically within the last two to three years. I think movement in the draft, moving the draft back is something that plays into this. Roster management in the summer leagues now is completely different than than what it was. I remember when the Cape, when I played, it was your upcoming draft class, not the current draft class, the upcoming draft class that was 13 to 14 months away from them, the evaluators trying to make decisions on guys. And and nowadays it's the upcoming draft within the next month where guys are going to the Cape to showcase their skills and their talents. Um, and then a lot of times they pull out after the draft is over and the roster shift mid-season in these summer leagues is, is a lot different. When I played, it was you had your roster, you had it set, and within the exception of a guy or two, maybe signing a free agent deal in the middle of the summer, that was your roster, that was your group, those are the guys that you were playing summer ball with. And now you have a ton of temp contracts. You have a ton of guys that are going there for a couple weeks, uh, showcase and leave. And then obviously the, the team has to protect themselves and it has to provide a competitive roster. And those rosters have really, really inflated a lot over the years, over the last couple of years. But yes, completely different, but it's opportunities. Another necessary evil, if it opens up an opportunity for somebody to go out, perform, and get get an opportunity to hear their name called on draft day, I'm all for it. Um, we in particular had one of our guys, one of our arms, um, showcased extremely well this summer in the Cape and uh, ended up being a 13-round draft pick. So um, was he going to be a 13th-round draft pick after the spring? I don't know, um, but he had a good showing. And uh, he got to hear his name on draft day. And that's uh, a lot of what we do. And uh, stories like that is uh, a part of why we're coaches. Yeah. Uh, For my end, it's like hard to figure out how to even cover the Cape anymore because you're like, uh, it's a big story when guys get invited to play there and they accept roster spots. But then, yeah, guys are coming and going and leaving. And it's a big deal if you're a Cape League all-star, but then sometimes you don't even finish out the season. So at the end, you're like, oh, the Bourne Braves won the Cape League, but I don't even know if the players care. But it's a tough thing to cover. What about uh, recruiting? That must that also has changed a lot over the years. And they, they just have some new rules now where uh, you can start hearing from coaches and going on to campuses, I guess, August 1st, before your junior year. So 
they're hoping that kind of backs things up a little bit so guys aren't given commitments to schools when they're in eighth and ninth grade. There's a little more time. But it gives uh, college coaches an opportunity where they're not doing so much projection and saying, hey, what's this kid going to look like in four years? He's throwing 87 when he's 14, but is he going to be 97 when he's 17? Who knows? How do you like that change? And how have you found the recruiting experience since you've been uh, a head coach at Bryant? I do. I, I appreciate the later the later decision-making process in this. I appreciate it for the families. I appreciate it for the kids going through it. The maturity from a 14 to a 15 to a 16-year-old kid to be able to make a decision, a lifelong decision, I think is, it's been it's been very, very good to see this delay in that process. Speaking back on the Cape and maybe the NACBL and some of the other travel or other summer leagues in the country, I think a lot more of us, myself included, are attending some of the, the summer leagues instead of the high school showcases. Um, it is, again, a necessary evil of the transfer portal. And there's a lot of guys that are showcasing in the summer leagues that uh, may be in the portal looking for a new opportunity. Um, and it is, it's a part of the environment that we're in now, as opposed to two coaches on the road watching a high school tournament down in, in Georgia or wherever that may be. I think you see a lot more college coaches attending the uh, summer collegiate leagues. And again, I'm myself included in that, in that topic. So it's a, it is a different shift. It's a different shift in the, in the win now. It's a different shift in the, the opportunity to have a guy that can plug and play into your program and less of a, a developmental high school recruiting class. Yeah. And you could see, hey, this guy went three for four today against Wake Forest, number three starter or something. You're like, I know he can play for us rather than this guy was down in East Cobb against some kid who I don't know who he is or where he's getting recruited. And he went three for like, it's a to totally different recruiting thing. But you are still getting guys out of high school. Where where are you finding those guys? Uh, we we kind of go everywhere. We've had we've had kids from Missouri, California, Florida, Texas, and the majority of our stuff is done in New England. But we are a private institution, and we have the ability to go after kids outside of just New England. Uh, but uh, the majority of our stuff is done here in New England, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Uh, a lot of kids from uh, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, and Rhode Island as well. So uh, more more uh, Northeast, but uh, with the ability to go outside of the region as well. I was talking to um, Tom Walter, the Wake Forest coach, on our last one, our last podcast, and he was saying one of the, I guess, one of the ways he spends a lot of time and wasn't expecting it, and one of the challenges of being a head coach is just the allocation of those 11.7 scholarships, and especially he's got the draft after, he's got to have that information in by July 1st, and then the draft is July 11th, so you're kind of projecting is this guy going to get is he leaving because he got drafted how are we going to spread this money around is it going to go to guys in the portal have you and he's he's also dealing with nil money which i don't know uh, that we're dealing with as much up here but have you found that to be a challenge figuring out where all the money is going to go yeah roster management i think uh, four or five years ago you could highlight two to three guys on your roster with potential of signing pro contracts every single year and you knew your incoming class of high school kids and you knew your needs and you would be able to maybe go with a junior college kid or a transfer uh, to solidify it. But now that the roster management is completely different, you have to recruit your own players. You have to make sure that you're creating a, 
an environment in which they enjoy, an environment which they're developing, and an environment in which they're getting everything that they possibly need and and want um, from your baseball program and even academically. Um, otherwise, there are opportunities now where just because that kid's here as a freshman or a sophomore, he has the ability, if another opportunity presents itself or a challenge presents himself, that they can leave. And that is something that we are all navigating as college coaches. The 11.7 and the 27 man or 27 scholarship roster and the 35 man roster inflated a little bit with COVID, but it is ever, ever changing. And it's something we are all navigating today. Yeah. I mentioned you transferred after your freshman year. You had a redshirt freshman year at Clemson, transferred to Vanderbilt. What was the process then? Because back then you had, didn't you have to redshirt for a year if you transferred D1 to D1? So I'm a little bit older, so I missed that window. Oh, uh, you did? Okay. Yeah, I was in I was in an era like we are today where you were able to freely transfer and prior to the time where we had to sit out a year. So luckily I had an opportunity to transfer out, go to another university, and I, I played more and, and opportunities to to be a part of something. And it, it worked out well for me personally. And so I understand both ends of this and I was, I was a part of it myself. And so it worked out for me. And again, we can all be negative about it, but there are scenarios and stories in which it is for the better for people to try something different. So that was a, it was a different time back then. Not as, not as common. There wasn't a portal per se or a database per se. It was one of those things where you might, I was out playing summer ball and we had the, obviously the head coaching change where Tim Corbin went to, to Vanderbilt and became the head coach. And so it was just through conversations with coach Leggett and coach Corbin on how that all went down, but different times back then. Now it's probably cleaner with the database, with the portal, the ability to enter it. Everybody knows who's in it, who's recruitable and who is not. Right. Yeah, Coach Corbin, we talk about him a lot because he's a New England guy. He seems to recruit a lot of the top tier New England guys. But I would imagine, so not not only did that kind of springboard your college career after redshirting, all of a sudden you're at Vanderbilt where you, I think you were all SEC. Yeah, all SEC first team as a shortstop, also being the team's most valuable player, defensive player of the year. So you had uh, a great career at Vanderbilt. Like I said, you were a fifth round pick. But I would also think playing for Coach Corbin, there are things that you probably carry with you today that you're using as a coach that you kind of learned from him. What were some of those things that inspired you maybe to get into coaching, either from Coach Corbin or, or somewhere along your along the way during your playing career that made you think, I want to get into coaching? Yeah, Coach Corbin was just the ultimate mentor, somebody that took pride in, in everything. I, I remember stories of showing up to the facility and if something was out of place and it wasn't clean, it wasn't presentable, it wasn't, hey, have somebody else go do it. Like he would, he would personally go out and, and make sure that whatever drill set we were doing as we entered the, the locker room, that everything was in place and right. And he, he really just took pride in everything from A to Z throughout the baseball program. And obviously he's had a t ton of success. He turned it around there very quickly. It didn't take long. Our, our first year there, we were right at 500. And then the second year with his leadership, we were right there playing in a super regional in Austin, Texas. So just the care factor. And then just the, the mentorship of like, he cared, he cared not only about your development as a player, but he cared about what you were doing off the field. 
how you communicate with people, how you treat other people. It was, it was everything. And I, I, I don't think I'm sitting here in this chair today. If it wasn't for my time that I spent with him, around him, admiring him. And I can tell you, there were some times where it was hard to, he coached you hard and he made sure to let you know what was, what was important to him. And he's just had a t- ton of success and, uh, actually had a text with him the other day. And so he's a, a true friend, true mentor, and somebody who is probably the best in the business in this industry. Yeah. It seems like everybody kind of feels that way about him too. Um, now as you look at Bryant, I know we, we spoke about a year ago. I don't even know if you remember this, um, Bryant, the announcement came out that you were moving from the NEC to America East. And I think I called you and was just like, hey, do you have a reaction to this? I'm going to put a story up. And you were like, I have no idea what to think. I don't know anything about that conference. I'm just trying to recruit kids and win games. Like, I don't, it's, it's not that anything that I'm really worried about right now. How did it play out? Was it kind of a non-factor like you were thinking at the time or was it a big deal? I don't want to say I, I, I don't want to put words uh, in your mouth, but uh, not a, not a non-factor. Uh, it, was, it was a very competitive gel. I think maybe in our conversation, it was more so we just hadn't played a lot of those teams and we hadn't been, we hadn't played outside of UMass Lowell, any of the America East teams. So I didn't really know what the conference was about. Wasn't, we weren't a part of it. And so getting a chance to be in it this year, um, I can tell you there's a lot of great coaches, uh, a lot of great programs, people that care. Um, and it was very, very competitive. Uh, it was very tough to uh, go on the road and win games. Um, and it was tough to even be at home um, and take series. So for us, first time into it, we had some success. We had some, some parts of some good years. We had some times where those weekends were tough and suffocating. And, and that was just the, the depth of the league is something that was very, very challenging. Yeah. That's hard to change like that in the, in the middle of an off season, but yeah, you guys did well first year in there. Like you said, getting used to new opponents, you, you don't know anything about some of these teams. It's difficult to, to jump right in there. Now, how are you looking going into the spring? I, do you have a sense here, here am I going to be my weekend starters or is it too early to kind of start writing down Ross lineups and weekend rotation guys and things like that? Early, early. Obviously, we sense it a little bit and there's some guys that are positioning themselves into those roles. But I, I told our guys yesterday after we wrapped up our, our fall black and gold little series, we have, we have three months. We have a large window of opportunities to develop and a large window to just incrementally get better every single day. And we talk about that a lot in this baseball program of just not taking any day for granted. And hopefully the group that I talked to yesterday is not the same group that we roll into UCF down in Orlando, Florida in the middle of February. And the guys are aware of that. We will have plans and places for each of our guys to incrementally get better and work on some of their deficiencies and they can come back after winter break, a completely different player. The offseason, the winter is a, a large win, window for growth, and we're going to need a lot of guys to do that. We have a roster that turned over. Some of our best arms are gone. Coleman Card being drafted, Brett Wachrowski being drafted, Jake Gustin moving on and graduating, Derek Smith. So some of our best players moved on from last year's roster, and we're going to need some new guys to fill in and step into those roles. And it's an exciting time as a coach, but also kind of there's some nervousness of the experience on the mound or the experience in the batter's box. You figured Jake Gustin and Derek Smith started every single game in their college careers. 
and replacing that experience is something that we're going to have to do on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good message for the guys. Like you put up a depth chart at the end of the fall semester and you got a couple of guys that are like, all right, I'm a starter. I'm going to go sit on the couch, put my feet up over winter break and I'll come back and have my starting job. So every day is important this time of year. And like you said, a lot can happen in three months. Ryan, do you have uh, a couple of minutes here to do the three up, three down segment with our producer, David Yaz? Yes, 100%. All right, David, let's do it. Three up, three down. All right, welcome back, my friends, to three up, three down, where I give three questions to both Dan and our guest. So, Coach, you are the guest. You get to go first. First one, pretty easy, I would say. If you could have a conversation with any legendary baseball player, coach, or figure from the past, present, or any time on the planet Earth, who would it be and what would you want to talk to them about? One of my all-time favorites is, even when I was a kid, reading books, was Jackie Robinson. I, I would love to sit in a room with him and just talk about his experiences and, and talk about the game and what he went through and the perseverance. He would be one person that I would absolutely love to have a conversation with. Did did you enjoy the movie 42 that came out a few years back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah re really, I thought, brought to life how it was way beyond baseball, what his life was, really. Great. So I have a, not to cut you off. No, I go have ahead. A, uh, I have a, hopefully my son and daughter don't read the, or see this podcast, but <laughs> I have a mystery reader with their elementaries. And one of the books that I'll read to the class and to the kids is about Jackie Robinson. So kind of neat. Tremendous. Tremendous. Now, Dan, I don't think you're going to be able to top that, so we'll just move on. No, I'm just kidding. Well, what is what is your answer to the question, Dan? Well, not nearly as inspiring, but I think it would be Pete Rose just to break down, like, what were you betting on? What I also heard, like, Mike Schmidt was my favorite player of all time, and somebody asked him this question, and he said Pete Rose because he was like, he's just a great guy to sit down and talk to about baseball. Even if you're not even getting into the gambling stuff, he was just so into it that it, it was fun talking to him about it. And one of the great hitters of all time, even though he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you both gave great answers because they're both complex people. Okay. I mean, Pete Rose, you could make an argument, greatest pure hitter of all time, and yet kind of a heartbreaking path he took, of course. All right, question number two. Dan, you can have this one first. It's pretty okay. simple. Who's the greatest leadoff man of all time? Ricky Henderson. He's, I think, I mean, if you look at Ricky Henderson's stats, are crazy. Like his on-base percentage, number of hits, leadoff home runs. Like he's just the best across the board. So I'm, I'm definitely going to go Ricky Henderson on that one. Yeah, Dan had the benefit of answering first on this one. It's <laughs> tough to beat, but and you could answer the question anyway. You want favorite leader fitter or best best leader fitter coach? What do you What do you say? I'm a big fan of leadoff hitters that have the ability to steal second base and hit home runs. I think obviously right now Acuna is probably our current. Ricky Henderson, but Ricky had the ability to change the game either at first base or in the batter's box. And I think it's such a dynamic talent to be able to do that out of that hole. So mm -hmm. Ricky Henderson is the best. We've got a couple guys in our game right now that are, are doing that as well, but I don't think anybody's ever going to do it to that ability. <laughs> I guess you can make a case for Ichiro, right? I mean, he, he, yeah. I mean that guy, when he swung, he, it felt like he was halfway on the way to first base by the time <laughs> one step out of the batter's box. And he had like half a career in Japan, Japan yeah. where he put up huge numbers. So yeah, maybe maybe his numbers would be similar to Ricky Henderson's. Final question for a three up, three down. We'll go back to you, Coach. The five tools of baseball are typically described as speed, power, hitting for average, fielding, and arm strength. 
of those skills, which would you say is maybe overrated and which would you say is maybe underrated? Overrated, underrated. Underrated is hitting ability, hitting for average. That is, I think, when you're recruiting, you're looking for the tools, the the skill set, power, speed. But at the end of the day, when the game's on the line, you want to have somebody in the box that has the ability to hit. Hitters hit. And when you have guys that don't chase and they know the strike zone, maybe not the power or the home run numbers or the stolen base numbers, but you, you can go to bed at night with that guy in the batter's box with the game on the line. And then I would say if it was from a position standpoint, the arm strength, the arm strength is something I would say is probably overrated. Love watching the the videos, the recruiting videos where the guys are crow hopping from shortstop to first base. <laughs> our guns. Um, I want to I know what your speed, I want to know what your game clock is. I want to know what your feel is, speed of the ball, speed of the runner. And can you be the guy that can just get the guy out? And so that, those would be my two. Hmm. Interesting. Dan, your thoughts? That's a good point. Arm strength will definitely is overrated now because that's all you see like at these. I like PBR. I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about PBR or perfect game, but that you see like average exit velo, average uh, throwing across the diamond. They're doing like pull downs and throwing into a screen. It's crazy. Uh, so arm strength has definitely become overrated. Maybe speed is underrated because mm-hmm. I feel like everybody has just minimized the importance of stolen bases and. Now that power is so mm. emphasized, maybe you're not focusing on defensive ability to track stuff down in the outfield. I would say maybe p- power is also overrated, so speed is underrated. Yeah, I think what you're both saying jibes with the, the perhaps too much focus on you know, analytics and numbers, exit velocity, and we marvel at that. And yet in, in like raw terms, there's no way to measure just pure hitting ability. I mean, there's batting average, of course, but the, the, you can't say he hit that this angle between the shortstop and the third baseman or whatever. Yeah. So OPS maybe is as close as you can get because yeah. then it's like a mix of power and plate coverage and all that stuff. But I don't know. Mm. Well, very good. You both passed with flying colors, three up, three down. I'll have Cracker Jack sent out to both of your homes as a prize. Thanks very much. And Dan, back to you. All right. Thanks to Coach Klosterman for joining the Base Path Podcast. Subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.